0: Right now, we're facing a man-made disaster of global scale. We are the first generation to feel the impact of climate change and the last generation that can do something about it.
1: If we put together science, technology, traditional knowledge, we can protect our planet. I want you to act as if the house was on fire, because it is.
2: Hello, welcome back to People Taking Action, a podcast bringing inspirational stories of people around the world who are taking action against the climate crisis. Throughout the ups and downs in the battle for environmental sustainability, there are local heroes out there who carry on doing their work and making a difference. So today, we're here to bring their stories to you, have a relaxed discussion, and hopefully bring you a bit of inspiration along the way. My name is Alex Whitebrook, and with me, as always, is Khadija Stewart
0: hi i'm sorry guys my energy is a little bit low i'm exhausted i'm hungry it's morning i haven't (laughs) had breakfast but i'm here i'm excited we're gonna talk about malaysia liana fisheries excited stuff
2: Exactly, exactly. I have tea, so I'm going to be fine. That's the most important thing. But yeah, like you said, today we're going to be talking about Liana Yamin, who's currently a PhD student at the Institute of Marine Affairs and Resource Management at National Taiwan Ocean University. Liana's work mainly focuses on climate adaptation in small-scale fisheries on the eastern coast of Malaysia, but she's got so many other hats and different fields of work that she's in, mostly to do with advocacy. So she previously... Back in 2018, she led the Malaysian Youth Delegation at the COP24 in Poland. And there's quite a lot of material online if you want to go see her speak about the various environmental issues in Malaysia. There's also uh, her own organisation called You Inspire Malaysia, which she co-founded and currently runs the communications for. She has recently interned at Climatepedia, a student-run environmental think tank based out of UCLA. And she also has worked with the International Climate Development Institute, a climate and development think tank, through which she has done some research into implementing national climate policy using the public-private partnership approach. So there's a lot to talk to Liana about, and uh, we're really excited to dig into it. So Liana basically is going to have a chat with us today about fisheries in Malaysia, the way that she sees ways for them to adapt to climate change as sea levels rise, as the uh, ocean acidity increases... And all the rest of the, well, frankly, terrible things that (laughs) uh, are starting to happen, especially in these small island nations like like Malaysia. But before we jump into that, we're going to give you a little bit of background, as always, on the sustainability environment, so to speak, of Malaysia, how things are going there. So why don't you uh, jump straight in, Khadija, and, and give us a little bit of uh, background on Malaysia?
0: Okay, so let's start with Malaysia's population. They have like approximately 6 million people. And what Malaysia is currently experiencing is things like frequent water shortages or like unpredictable weather patterns. Mm-hmm. So they have cases where they would have extreme rainfall or they would have no rainfall and they would have things like flooding, uh, especially really bad flooding. They said that by twenty. the majority of Malaysians would be displaced as a result of floods and they've had some severe flooding which occurred in like 2006 2017 etc and this has cost the country approximately like 7.2 million in damages and I don't know about Hmm. you but that's a lot and that's 7.2 million US also with the temperature increases you have the increase for diseases, and Malaysia is home to mosquitoes, especially the very notorious Aedes aegypti mosquito. And they're at risk of increased cases in the Zika virus, dengue fever. And I've had dengue fever as a child, and it was one of the worst mm. experiences ever. So I can't, I don't know, I can't imagine. I, I don't, wow. I, don't I did not know that about you. Oh, thank yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm from... From the Caribbean, it's a normal thing. (laughs) We have mosquitoes,
2: but yeah. The other thing that Malaysia has been doing in recent years is that the government has started establishing uh, carbon cities, or basically a a general policy towards um, the sustainability of urban areas, low carbon jurisdictions within cities, and trying to tackle the main kind of areas of pollution and environmental degradation. In Malaysia, which are the energy industry, um, transport, and obviously waste ending up in landfills and stuff. It's one of the actually shouting back the second episode with Ocean Merchant talking about waste and the way that Thailand imports a lot of international plastic waste. Malaysia has exactly the same problem, and it's a big contributor to its carbon footprint. Oh yeah, they,
0: um, they've also taken early action in promoting things like biofuel use or you know, pro renewable policies, but of course. I mean, the talk is there, but the action is really insufficient. This is not up my words. This is based on what I read. So don't come for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) I mean, in the Global Sustainability Index, I hate to always bring it back to indexes, but this year they ranked 132nd out of 181 countries. So that's not a good place to be in the eyes of the world. But from that backdrop, honing in on the fisheries sector, Malaysia Um, doesn't exactly rely on its fishery sector. I think it accounts for one to two percent of its GDP. But we're talking about about 100,000 people in Malaysia who are directly employed by small fisheries, mostly working on the coastlines, either growing shrimp or going out uh, and and deep sea fishing, even though it's, you know, 100,000 people out of so many million it's one to two percent of gdp the oceans are such a key indicator as i mentioned at the top of the episode for the environmental health of your country and malaysia has started to take notice of that some companies some fishermen have started the practice of bringing of of cultivating fingerlings baby fish (laughs) and basically and putting them in nursery waters upstream in rivers and this kind of thing whereas traditionally a lot of Inland fishing just didn't happen in Malaysia. It's almost 99% marine fishing. And you can see in those actions, that people are starting to think more about how sustainable their fishing practices are. And in all honesty, it's not sustainable at the moment. Malaysia's annual fish consumption per person is three times the global average. So instead of 20 kilos, it's about 60 kilos. And this has increased massively in the last 50 years. It's about it's about doubled from what it used to be. So there's a big increase in demand quite a steep decrease in supply and that's where Liana comes in.
0: I just wanted to say that clearly I can't read because the population is 31.6 million people and not 6 million so just wanted to correct myself real quick.
2: (laughs) I was like that's probably the population of like central Kuala Lumpur. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. All right so yeah we're gonna we're gonna be chatting to Liana about um about Malaysia's environmental issues, specifically about fisheries, small-scale fisheries, and how they're adapting to the impacts of climate change, like sea level rise and change in ocean acidity, as I mentioned. So, um, should we jump right into a conversation with Liana? Yep, yep, yep. Let's do it. Welcome to People Taking Action, Liana. It's really a pleasure to have you on our show.
1: Thank you so much, Alex and Hadija, for inviting me to this podcast. I'm happy to be here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Good good. We're interested, looking at your portfolio, the, the work that you do, it was hard to pin down because you're doing so many things, which things matter most to you, what you're most engaged in and most interested in right now, because you've got so many different advocacy things going on, working with the Malaysian Youth Delegation, your previous work attending COP24, Climatepedia, the ICDI and of course your PhD. So how does that all, how does all of that fit into uh, your, your story?
1: All right, uh, let me first uh, introduce myself. Uh, I'm Liana, a Malaysian currently studying in Taiwan at the National Taiwan Ocean University. I'm a second year PhD student. Uh, what I'm basically roughly doing for my PhD research is on uh, the climate change impacts of sea level rise towards the coastal communities in east coast of Malaysia. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, like you mentioned, I have so many things in the background (laughs) of what I'm doing. Some of it is, of course, yeah, for my climate advocacy and some of it is actually for my additional income. I'm interning in International Climate Development Institute. Uh, That is Mm -hmm. something I was doing during my summer. That is paid, <laughs> so that's why I was doing something additional apart from my PhD work. As for my attachment with Malaysian Youth Delegation, uh, it has been about two years now because I was active back in 2018. Yeah, now still active, but uh, slowing down <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's just too much. It's basically a, uh, how do we say? a Malaysian Youth uh, NGO focusing on climate policy. As for my, another attachment (laughs) is actually with Climatepedia. So basically it is a 12 week intense climate education program for me to learn more about climate change.
2: Okay. Very interesting. And how does this all fit into your PhD work? What sparked your interest in environmental issues? How did you become so focused on fisheries and youth advocacy?
1: Mm, Oh, interesting.
2: (laughs) I know the tough questions. (laughs)
1: yeah maybe because I was actually involved in the NGO work back in Malaysia since 2018 so it somehow exposed me to the real climate issues and somehow uh, back then I was doing my master's in sustainability science and Mm. I see the opportunity to further my PhD in Taiwan right now so that's why apart from doing something I love in NGOs I also wanted to do something higher in my tertiary level studies
2: and if you wanted to break down your research for the listeners because obviously khadija and i have already spoken a little bit about the fisheries in malaysia the issues that they face what would you say is the biggest threat to small-scale fisheries in coastal communities in malaysia and what does your research focus on in particular
1: so because since I'm only in my second year, I could say it is still at the surface and uh,
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. my focus would be more on the perceptions and adaptations of the coastal communities towards the sea level rise. Because my focus right now is in the East Coast where they are very impacted with the sea level rise. Like for instance, where I uh, I used to study back then in for my degrees was in University of Malaysia Terengganu So, Mm -hmm. I actually faced one of the worst flooding in history. (laughs) So, in 2014, it happened the worst flood Mm -hmm. in Terengganu. So, uh, that somehow sparked my journey to do this particular research for my PhD because once they built the the airport there and somehow the coastal erosion fastens and it happened that the flood became one of the worst at that time yeah
2: wow and that was all like coastal flooding
1: yeah uh, and mm. my university was actually somehow like atlantis already
0: <laughs> <laughs> atlantis you said <laughs>
1: yeah i could <expect laughs> share this, some photos later how
0: drowned my university was
2: <laughs> that'd be great to see wow
0: yeah. yeah in our intro we spoke about flooding and i did mention the fact that malaysia has had some serious um flood events especially the one you mentioned in 2014 one in 2017 etc uh, but what I found was difficult was finding results on like the impacts of climate change in Malaysia. I know you kind of touched on it a little bit, but if you could paint like a clearer picture for our listeners, that would be good. Indeed. Um, I think that
1: is one of the major problems in Malaysia because we lack climate data. So sometimes researchers want to refer to data from agencies. They don't really uh, provide it openly. And I think the most impacted to me for climate change impacts would be the uh, normally the transboundary haze that happens around September and October every year. So basically, it is the burning of uh, forests from Indonesia that happens. Mm. So... Of course, this has been a long issue. I mean, a very, very long issue. People keep on point blaming Indonesia, then Indonesia blame Malaysia, Malaysia blame mm. Singapore. And, <laughs> so, so is it it's a like, part of you know, slash
2: and burn practices?
1: It is basically the palm and oil company yeah. from Malaysia. It is a Malaysian company planting in Indonesia. so. <laughs> uh, so complicated. I, <laughs> complicated a bit. So, but because I'm... Actually, originally from Kuala Lumpur. So Mm. it impacts more because it burns towards the western of Malaysia.
2: And what are the other major environmental issues that that Malaysia faces?
1: Probably flooding. uh, Because there are a lot of urban areas. And Mm. of course, when they don't channel the water properly, uh, most of the urban areas would be flooded. And another recent issue would be uh, lacking of water. Because I think because of the drought, so of course uh, from the where I'm coming from Slango so they don't have sufficient water to be distributed accordingly in the state so that's another huge dam problem mm. uh, Not the and DAM, eh? DAM.
2: Yeah, DAM. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely yeah. worth clarifying. <laughs> yeah. A huge dam problem. <laughs> yeah. Um and, and how does all of the, the flooding and the sea level rise, how does it affect small-scale fisheries that you're studying?
1: Well, because uh, as you know, small-scale fisheries are located at the coastal area. So, mm. uh, they are the first to be impacted if uh, the sea level rise. And of course, the biggest issue in Malaysia fisheries are normally in poverty level. So, of course, their houses, if they are built nearby the coastal community, it won't be that strong. And, of course, it will impact not only their economic and also their social well-being.
2: And, and that's something you're particularly focused on in your research, isn't it? The kind of mm. focusing on how to improve the social well-being of small-scale fishers and, and help them adapt to the the rising sea levels.
1: Yes, definitely. And also looking into their food security and safety issues.
2: Mm. Mm. The the next kind of question we wanted to ask you, the next thing that we'd love to know is in in your work, obviously your work spans beyond fisheries in Malaysia, although that's your current primary focus, you've had a lot of advocacy work in the past. You've co founded your own organization, like you Inspire Malaysia, and I think you now currently still work with them as the communications associate. That's just, you know, as we've already touched upon the tip of the iceberg and all the work that you've done. It'd be interesting just to, if we step away from the fisheries issues for, for a moment and just hear from you, what, what are you most proud of achieving or what have you enjoyed most uh, in, in all of the different actions that you've taken for climate awareness and environmental sustainability?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that I'm pretty blessed for the opportunities to travel around And I think the most thing that uh, I could say I'm proud of is when actually some strangers come to me when they say they actually influence like how I talk and how I share about the climate change impacts I've been doing. And with that, they they wanted to make a difference from my action. And I'm like, oh, wow, I did not know that I could actually make a difference. So that somehow uh, enlightened me to further in this path and share more experiences that even though I'm just a normal girl, I can still <laughs> do something. I mean, yeah, I'm happy to share with others.
2: I think that's really beautiful actually, because it's, it's so important to, for, for everyone to realize their own agency. In, in being able to influence others and, and and have an impact even in small ways. What kind of events have you been at or what kind of specific examples do you have where you've had the chance to speak or, or organize a workshop and that kind of thing and, and people have been impacted by it?
1: I think the most event that I've been talking was from the COP24 mm-hmm. where I was uh, I went to Poland. Uh, and after coming back from Poland, I actually uh, organized and talked at a post cop forum and that is where people start recognizing me (laughs) and I think uh, that is where people start knowing that I've been attending to events Mm -hmm. and secondly was last year when I actually was accepted by the United Nations to attend United Nations Youth Climate Summit in New York Mm -hmm. so that too was actually another high impact. (laughs) uh event i guess that people start to like wow liana you can do this It's like, (laughs) (laughs) and everyone is quite interested Mm
2: -hmm.
0: so
1: yeah
2: yeah it's inspiring to have that kind of impact on people and how important the advocacy and awareness raising that you do can be to your country as well it doesn't seem like there's a lot of environmental policy going on in malaysia there are a lot of environmental challenges in malaysia should i say it's Important to have people like you there to try and actually overcome <laughs> these challenges rather than, like you were talking about before, throwing blame back and forth between Indonesia and Malaysia over the transboundary smog and this kind of thing. So, yeah, very, very inspiring
0: what is your biggest challenge so far like um that you've had to overcome or it could simply be the fact that you have to speak at different events or just attending interacting with people but yeah for you like or even with your research like getting information dealing with the coastal communities about like I'm just giving examples. I'm rambling. Anyways, so like, what is your what is your biggest challenge so far? Uh,
1: because I think I have so many challenges. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, maybe especially as a current uh, PhD student, like juggling uh-huh. my time with so many things. Yeah, although I've been advising myself not to take too much responsibility, but I just can't say no.
0: <laughs> yeah, same. So I
1: keep... Yeah, I keep on taking stuff and like, okay, let me work on this. Let me do that. Let me do this. (laughs) And yeah, like the first thing about adapting for my, even for my PhD research, you know, I'm being away from Malaysia, coming to adapt to Taiwan. And Mm -hmm. of course, with the language barriers, with the scarce halal food here. (laughs) And I think... uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing like, is time management. Because despite you know that you can do things, but still it is hard to juggle stuff.
2: I think one of the, one of the things I always say to people, whenever anyone's worried about not being able to manage a, a new responsibility or a new role, a new project, I think we're all capable of doing more. And you don't have to if you don't want to, but just just putting yourself out there and doing more before you even know it you'll find the time you'll make you'll make the time fit these things these new projects into your life
1: true quite true and also lowering your expectations (laughs) sometimes when i have too high expectations to myself so i can't really progress on stuff
2: Mm -mm.
1: so yeah i think that's my second biggest problem
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh that's really that's really great for you to like open up like that though because you know we'll often ask interviewees about their, their biggest challenge and it's it's often um a particular task yeah <laughs> superficial like get, like getting funding and that kind of thing but <laughs> but it's it shows how much you care that it's been a personal journey for you and you've really been trying to push yourself to take more action and do more things i actually saw that you've been organizing some events in taiwan since you've been there some advocacy and an sdg awareness events So, you're keeping busy.
1: Yes, I'm too busy. (laughs) Sometimes I'm I'm unaware of myself. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, uh, for the other attachments in Malaysia, I've been doing it online. So, of course, in Taiwan, I wanted to do something physical. So, Mm. that's why I've been in touch with the local Taiwanese Youth Climate Coalition. Mm -hmm. So, they even invite me to speak twice in front of their uh, people, I mean, members. So, wow. I, yeah, yeah, I've been speaking for a while here, <laughs> but not in Mandarin, in English, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's also an upcoming March, Climate March this Sunday, which I'm excited to participate. I think it's interesting to see how different people around the world are actually trying to adapt with climate change. And this is how I see how the Taiwanese youth trying to do and communicate with their own government Mm. to Mm. like increase ambitions you know
0: you mentioned the climate march and i just thought of people and then i just thought of covid so i was like (laughs) yes i just wanted to know like how covid has like affected any work that you've been doing if it has affected anything on like how have you guys like adapted your work to suit
1: yeah i think people are quite uh, uh interested to know how i'm living in taiwan like mm-hmm. so far, the cases of COVID in Taiwan is like less than 500 total until now. Oh, so wow. it is still bearable. <laughs> yeah, That's- less than 500.
0: That's less than my country. I only have like 1 million people living in Trinidad. What?
1: <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so, yeah, I think how they take measures since January, they started mm-hmm. uh, uh, taking action. Like people have to be careful of everything. And like starting from April... Uh, it is already compulsory to even wear masks in public transportation. And of course, now I think it is quite calm. I mean, uh, nobody is really that worried, but still preventive measures are still taken. But yeah, I think it's still under care (laughs) no big deal here in taiwan
0: that's good the uk is currently wild which is where alex and i are.
2: oh
1: yeah
2: (laughs) i'm in a local lockdown oh no yeah oh yeah
1: we never had a lockdown you know just to let you know really yeah so it's pretty normal normal uh in bracket
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah normal it's it's pretty new normal
1: yeah very interesting yeah
0: i need to go to taiwan (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, please come And yeah, you have bubble
2: tea <laughs> Oh, bubble tea Speaking of COVID I have a friend who's a doctor in Taichung So that's why I was there I was visiting him
0: oh.
2: And he's, he's certainly had his work cut out for him Even with very few COVID patients in Taiwan Things have changed a lot In hospitals, obviously And he told me that there's been some water shortages Because people are washing their hands so more frequent, so much more frequently
1: Oh my god, yes I think there, there's a recent article saying that uh, probably early next year, Taiwan could face one of the biggest water shortages in history, <laughs> which is a concern. I'm wow. like, okay, uh, I've always experienced that in Malaysia. Now, why am I supposed to experience it in Taiwan? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, it sounds like sounds like it's time to switch um, switch PhDs. You could start a second one.
1: Oh no, <laughs> it's unbearable.
2: <laughs> Actually, speaking back to your PhD, do you have any parallels between like, during your time in in Taiwan and, and looking back at the fishery issues in Malaysia and rising sea levels? Do you see a lot of parallels, or is it very is it all handled very differently in Taiwan?
1: Oh yes, I think firstly because how the government organized things in malaysia there's the federal and state government so mm-hmm. two different government are holding different powers mm-hmm. so and sometimes it is hard to come to consensus to actually implement acts and policies but Mm -hmm. in Taiwan what I can see is that uh, all the agencies are working together to actually implement uh, all the laws which is quite interesting to see and another interesting thing in Taiwan that I saw is they have their own marine elementary school where they have additional marine syllabus and I'm like wow I didn't know this could be implemented (laughs) but yeah it's very interesting to know that quite a big difference
2: (laughs) Yeah, quite a big difference. Do you think that a lot of that kind of young environmental education and awareness raising is something that's lacking in Malaysia? Oh,
1: yes, definitely. I think mm. uh, probably like even in the urban areas, even my urban friends, some are not even aware and some are even plastic addict. according to my yes. friends. <laughs> I think that's another problem. Sometimes I'm worried that although I'm too comfortable with my own climate bubble,
2: Uh, Mm -hmm. But
1: I still have to realize that there are more, a lot more people that are still not understanding the current issues. Mm-hmm. And it is very important to actually like translate it to local terms, which is not easy. Also, like me, my first language would be English, and second is Malay. But sometimes mm-hmm. it is hard to actually talk to people in Malay also because it's jumbled <laughs> up, you know, when your yeah. mind is like in English, in Malay, <laughs> and <many things> suddenly. <laughs>
2: environmental communication is, I think, one of the biggest, one of the most important things to, to still overcome. You know, us in our environmental bubble can often feel like. Everyone is in the know and everyone's moving in the same direction. But that's one of the challenges we face as well, isn't it, Khadija, with this podcast? Just to make sure we're not preaching to the choir. <laughs> yeah,
0: yes. Yeah. Quite true. Yeah. Yes, I'm always saying we have to explain things because it's not obvious. It's obvious to us because we're in the field, but it's not obvious to
2: everybody else. Um well with with that with that kind of the situation in Malaysia compared to Taiwan in mind, it's a very interesting perspective. I guess the final question we would have for you would be, where do you see things going forward for your life, for your work? You've talked to us a little bit about the personal challenges in time management and stepping up to take action and speak at these events. What is the direction you want to go in personally? And what impact would you like to have in Malaysia?
1: Mm, interesting question. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, we're here to
2: ask the big questions today.
1: <laughs> well, in the long run, I could see myself, of course, as a... Uh, doing something in climate advocacy. I'm a bit shy. So I think sticking to organizations to actually Mm -hmm. do my climate communication would Mm -hmm. be the best for now. And hopefully, as soon as I graduate my PhD, I could be more uh, involved in research institutes to talk more on the climate issues yeah
2: good and would you want to have like a policy impact in Malaysia you talked about Taiwan's great example of marine syllabus in, in primary schools would you want to see yourself implementing something like that back in Malaysia
1: oh yes definitely so once I graduate mm-hmm. I could also share the expertise especially in ocean governance
0: brilliant I feel like that's good yeah oh any wise words for our listeners you know we of always course, have like a, a one sentence of inspiration
1: hmm I think this is something to remind myself also. Uh, walk the talk.
0: <laughs> yeah. I like that short and yeah. sweet. Just walk the talk. Yes, absolutely. Yeah,
1: it's not easy because obviously, I mean, you're in. You're a climate advocacy person, and mm-hmm. if you don't do the thing, it's a bit. Contradicting to what you're preaching. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> if we don't all change our own personal actions, then, then what are we all talking about?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh. not easy, but yeah, you can do it slowly. <laughs>
2: Exactly. Yeah. It's about gradually changing habits, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Brilliant. All right. Um, well, thank you very much for coming on to our show. And, and I, feel, I feel like we've had a really relaxed and down to earth discussion today. You know, it's been a little bit different. It's been nice to, to, re- to really hear how you add a personal touch to your sustainability journey and what drives you personally. It's really great to hear how you'd like to make a difference in Malaysia and through all of the various environmental advocacy research work that you do all the different hats that you wear i really feel like you're driving driving that change forward
1: thank you so much for inviting me once again
0: yeah i feel like you could you could count down the time and you could breathe easy it's almost over don't
2: worry (laughs) it's almost over (laughs) we can all
1: relax every time (laughs) (laughs) interview <laughs> me, and i'm like okay why are you gonna ask me
2: <laughs> <laughs> we're don't worry we're a bit different we're a bit different we just wanted to get to know you you know and i feel like you did open up and, and let us know what what pushes you and what drives you so we really appreciate it yeah all right i guess we'll call it a wrap
0: well that was a pretty chill vibe pretty relaxed interview it was different Mm. but it was good uh we i felt like we really connected with liana on a more personal level instead of a more like professional or you know this is what i'm doing this is what i'm achieving i mean obviously she spoke about that but we really got like her story or like her i don't know how to describe it it was just more personal than anything her
2: experience wasn't it yeah her experience
0: Mm what i found was interesting was when she mentioned that um in malaysia how so, um it have like the different governing bodies and like obviously they're not working together which is what takes place in a lot of different places but in taiwan mm. it's like everybody is like working together you know pushing for change and stuff and that's that's something that's rare as yeah as, yeah ideal as it is, it doesn't really happen. So the fact that that was happening, I find that that was good, that they were working together to manage the marine resources and climate change, etc. So yeah, that was mm, good.
2: I feel like Taiwan has a really strong unitary political system, you know, whereas the, whereas, you know, countries like my own Australia, with a federal system and having federal governments and the, and the um, state governments or, you know, provincial governments competing, that kind of system often creates doubling up of responsibility and kind of Mm -hmm. over-governance, which can result in inefficiencies in in policy implementation. She really spoke to how Malaysia suffers from those issues in that part of our interview. But it was also interesting to hear what she thinks are the major issues that Malaysia faces.
0: Yeah, the air pollution thing.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. It'd be great to catch up with her more about her uh, PhD work further down the line and see where she's at with researching fisheries. But I think that she had a really great grasp of what's going on in Malaysia and. She's clearly very experienced in her advocacy and awareness-raising work to communicate those environmental issues to a wider audience.
0: Yeah. I also liked her advice, which was walk the talk. A lot of times we say things, but we really don't lead by example. And if we're the ones preaching and we're not doing it, then how how is anybody else supposed to take the action or take the steps, etc.? So yeah, Absolutely. that was good. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still in mellow vibes mode.
2: Me too. <laughs> A lot of our interviewees in the past, we've had great discussions about specifically their most recent project or the actions and challenges that they faced. I feel like with Liana, we really dug deeper into how her personal journey towards taking more action
0: yeah watching her step out of her comfort zone yeah it was good it was good
2: (laughs) right. and if our listeners want to find out anything more about Liana then we will post all of her relevant socials in the show notes
0: so if you enjoyed what you heard today you know you want to hear more you like our vibe you like our content you can find us on any good podcasting app or platform of your choice you can also find us on our website www.peopletakingaction.org and mind you we have a Patreon so don't hesitate to join to contribute to us to keep (laughs) putting out this quality content for you guys and make sure to follow us on instagram facebook twitter at ptapod
2: we really enjoy putting this stuff together and we want to be as engaging as possible with our audience so the number one way that you can be involved in helping us create more inspiring content is joining us on our Patreon. And that's about everything for this episode. So as always, thank you to Legion X for the great song that we mixed together to create our theme song. And thanks to all of you lovely people for joining us today. We'll see you in the next one. Bye!